Hello and welcome to a new episode of the Influence Factor by the Influencer Marketing Factory. Today with me we have Mark Eschberg, that is a CTO, MIT instructor, author and speaker. Uh, if you are new to this show, I want to just remind you to subscribe on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Enjoy the show. Hey Mark, welcome to the show. How are you? Doing great. Thanks for having me on the show today. Absolutely. So, you know, today we have uh, many things to talk over together, but, you know, like they have different items, but I'm really curious to, to learn more about you. You know, you have a quite an interesting career and I would love to see how, you know, what you learned so far can also be, right, adapted and applied to influencers and content creators, right? And what is happening in social media, on the internet these days, every day is changing, right? It's difficult to be right on the loop of what is happening, but uh, you also uh, told me in our pre-calls about, you know, methodologies, right? And and how you can look at things from a framework point of view, right? It would be interesting to see, again, how we can get those structures, right? And use them on a daily basis, right? For people working into these. But uh, first of all, I usually ask to you know our guests, who are they? So first of all, who is Mark? Tell us, please, a bit more about your career and then what are you working on lately? Sure. I've got this very interesting dual career. In fact, it's getting more multifaceted by the day. When I graduated MIT back in the 90s, I started as a software engineer and realized I wanted to become a CTO, a chief technology officer. And I saw that to do that wasn't just about being a good engineer. There were all these other skills I needed. Leadership, networking, negotiating, team building, all these soft skills we hear about, but no one ever actually taught me in my education. So I had to develop these skills in myself. As I was going through doing that, I realized these skills aren't just for executives. They are for everyone in the company. And I began to upskill my team. So I've had a primary career of doing tech startups. I've done cybersecurity and enterprise software, but also lead generation and content marketing and advertising. But I mentioned I was upskilling my team and that led to a side opportunity. MIT had discovered the same shortcoming. They were hearing from companies, we're trying to find these skills, not just with your students, not just with engineers, but in general. And we can't find these skills either. So we started a program at MIT, referred to as the MIT Career Success Accelerator, where we instilled these skills in our students. And I first just gave some content to MIT, thinking maybe this will help. MIT asked me to stay on and create more content and then to stay and teach. So in parallel to building these tech companies, I've been teaching at MIT and elsewhere professional development skills. That led to my book, The Career Toolkit, and then the Brain Bump app that spun out of that and the speaking and the other things I now do with this second parallel career, in addition to my work still building tech startups. Wow. Uh, Congress, first of all, I can see that, right? Uh, you have like coming from different backgrounds, uh, can teach you a lot, right? Uh, that's also what we discuss in other episodes, not only looking at things from one lens or from one angle, right? But actually combining together, for example, the academia world with the business, right? Many times they don't talk to each other and you have like the theory that doesn't really apply to the real business, right? Or real society. And also like when you say about soft skills. That can be applied actually and used by everyone not just people like you know in maybe working in big conglomerate but actually you know even smaller things right as you said before for example leadership right and uh, and networking and all of those things right that we're going to go more in detail later on and we're going to discuss about your book right and it's one of the questions that i have for you um on that 
But, uh, you know, before we go more in detail there, uh, one of the first things I wanted to ask you, and again, since this podcast is mostly about, you know, what is happening in the influencer marketing, you know, um, arena, uh, what is happening in the creator economy that is booming, um, and so on, like social media changes. Uh, one of the things that we discussed it, right, when we briefly met uh, some weeks ago, it is that you um, told me about something really interesting that is called that, you said that the future is context-dependent content. It's a bit difficult for me to, to say that. Context-dependent content, right? Uh, what do you mean by, by that, first of all? And then we're going to go more in, in detail, but I was fascinated by this concept. The fundamental problem can be expressed as where you read information isn't where you need information. There is a disconnect. So if we take my book, for example, there is a chapter on networking. Fantastic. So many people want to get better at networking skills. And in this chapter, and in plenty of other books out there, here is what you can do to be a better networker. Chances are you are going to be reading that sitting at home, sitting on your couch in a chair. Maybe you're listening to it as you're jogging at the gym. That's not where you're doing most of your networking. And it will be at some other time and place. For example, a conference you go to, a month or two after you read the book, where you say, okay, now here's an opportunity for networking. Oh, shoot, what were all those ideas I'm supposed to remember? They're disconnected. Where you access it is disconnected from where you need to apply it. If you think about books, are a little antiquated. Now, I'll note, I prefer print books. I always still buy print books. I like reading them, and I wrote one. But they are historical. They're that way because that's all we could do. In fact, what we really want is information exactly when and where we need it. That's when it's relevant. That's when it's useful. So if you think about your contact list, for example, I don't remember anyone's phone numbers. None of us do anymore. And that's okay because whenever I need the phone number, I can go to my contacts and I instantly pull up the phone number that gets put into the phone. It is context dependent. If you think about a larger example, take Google Glass. Now, that was a failure for sociological reasons, but the concept was right that we might be walking down the street and I haven't seen you in years, and maybe I don't even recognize you, but Google Glass does, and says, oh, here's Alessandra, and it's going to tell me when we last communicated. So, hey, it's been two years because that pops up on the screen, or I see how your business is doing or your recent post, and I can suddenly bring up information that's relevant. I didn't need to know that two minutes before. I don't need to know it five minutes after the conversation, but it's relevant then and there. And so really the way the world is going to move is from these traditional media collections, books, but also radio programs or TV, to context-dependent where we can pull up pieces, sub-parts of these larger sets that are relevant to the moment we're in now. I mean, it makes sense. I like the idea of having like a CRM, right? A customer relationship management in handy when you need it. I can think about like, you know, networking events, as you said, conferences, imagine with thousands of people there, having something like that that can just pop up and help you out remembering the most important things, especially maybe also not just about the business, but about the person, right? That people want and love to talk about themselves, their family, their friends, their hobbies, more than talking about business, right? So having maybe a little note about yeah, like Mark loved these, uh, you know, you should maybe break the ice talking about that 
hobby or passion, and then diving right in would, would help. And so this is like, you know, um, if you think about, you know, the typical maybe, you know, business person, as we said before, conference and so on. But if I'm correct, you also said around this uh, that content creators and you, as an example, talk about not only, you know, social media people, but authors, podcasters, speakers, and tough leaders, uh, we need to rethink content, right? Based on the, on the context-dependent content. What would be a piece of advice for them in thinking and shifting mindset from like this way to do content is outdated, there is a new way. What is that new way to do content? Sure. To follow up on the example I gave of the networking. So I have these networking tips that again, you need them at a different time and place than how you typically access them in my book. And so if I want them to be useful to you, if I want my brand to be memorable and seen as useful, I need to provide that content from my book in a way that is accessible, in a way where you can say, I need this piece right now and be able to pull it out. Now, in theory, you can carry my book with you, but that's kind of awkward. Mm -hmm. You could have the PDF version of my book on your phone, but even then, right before you walk into the room, you're saying, okay, I got to go open the PDF and then I have to go scan through it and try to find the things. And you might have some highlights in there, but it's still awkward. It's still expensive in terms of your time. Expensive meaning tens of seconds or minutes. And really, when you think about user behavior, we need things in seconds. We're not going to wait five seconds for a web page to load. We really don't want to be scrolling through trying to find something. So we need to make our content into these micro segments, into these small bite-sized pieces that are accessible within seconds. Now, I'm still a fan of books and long-form content. I'm not saying everything needs to be a tweet evermore, but we need to take that long-form content and be able to repackage it in much more easily accessible ways. Hey, quick break. This podcast is hosted by the Influencer Marketing Factory. We are an influencer marketing agency that helps brands and companies engage with Gen Z and millennials on social media. We take care of influencer identification, storytelling, creativity, negotiation, contracting, campaign management, error analysis, in-depth reporting, cut and boosting, and much, much more. Are you interested in learning more? You can find us at theinfluencermarketingfactory.com or you can Google The Influencer Marketing Factory. And uh, that reminds me, for example, I don't know who, but they created like a sort of search engine also for specific podcasts because, you know, podcasts, for example, it's audio. And in 40 minutes, you can say many things, right? But it's difficult to search. Even the discoverability for certain content is a bit difficult. And so I like the idea of potentially search for something specific, right? And be able to extract what you need. Also, because I don't remember who told me so, but it's easy to say I read, you know, one book a day or one book a week, but it's not what you read. It will actually, what actually remain in you, right? What do you remember? Because you can really read so much, but at the end of the day, if you are just getting everything, it's like you never read them, right? So. Maybe also the idea of like going from the long form and then be able to highlight what you need mostly in the specific time, right? It does, it does make sense. Um, and uh, have you seen that happening already on social media or not really? Do you think that are we going in that direction potentially or do you still think that we are a bit far behind from that? We are seeing the trend moving that way. Certainly what we're finding is there's going to be more audio indexing. If you think about the search engines, 
they are text-based. And so traditionally, they've just ignored audio. And this is why many podcasters will have transcripts to get picked up by the SEO. But we're now seeing more and more audio search. There are, by the way, audio search engines out there, but we're seeing it become more mainstream. We're seeing it more where you can start to tag and index in audio and video so you can jump into those parts. And this is just going to become more and more common for exactly that reason. Now, we also know content creators, for example, pull out audio clips. They like to share those because these are some of the key points, the key takeaways. We see show notes in podcasts so that, again, are referencing certain sections or ideas to make it more accessible. But podcasting, of course, and audio in general, still in relative infancy on the internet. So we'll start to see more and more advanced tools. Now, then there's a larger trend that I don't think is as active, but it's going to be coming up, which is the concept of how social media is oriented and what I call push versus pull content. If you think about how social media works, and it's the same for email lists that we've, of course, been using for even longer, it is this concept of push media. So I have my email list. I have my social media followers, and I'm going to put out some information right now. I tweet right now, I post on Instagram, or I send out my email blast right now because for whatever reason, I think that's the right time. I'm doing a push. I'm pushing it out to my audience. Now, there's a couple of problems with this. First, much of my audience just isn't paying attention. They're not on social media. It's a busy day. It gets buried in their inbox. So I already lose a number of people. Then even the people who see it, who open that email or see the post, it may not be relevant. So if I'm posting something about leadership right now, they say, yeah, that's wonderful, but I don't care. Right now, my issue is getting more customers. That's all I care about. And what you're telling me, it's it's actually taking resources I don't want to invest because I'm focused on getting more customers. So they ignore it. It drops on the floor. Six months from now, after they've gotten more customers, after they've grown the team, they start to say, oh, now I have a leadership challenge. Now I need leadership advice. What are the odds that they're going to go back and say, well, let me look at Mark's old social media posts, or let me look at all those emails he's been sending me that I've, of course, been saving, because maybe there's some advice here. They're not doing that. And so with this push, we're basically taking a shotgun approach, knowing it's just going to land with a few people. Instead, we want to switch to pull media, where the content consumer can pull in what is relevant when it's relevant. And so with poll media, you say, now I need leadership advice. Now we do some of this with a search engine. Let me search for articles on leadership or whatever the topic is. But when you think about a podcast, for example, that's ordered chronologically. Very rarely do people say, let me go look through all your hundreds of old episodes. Let me look through all your old emails or all your old social media posts. They're ordered chronologically. And that's not the right ordering for evergreen content. That's fine if we're talking about what's happening in, in the news, because I don't care what happened three weeks and 17 days ago. That's old news. But I care about evergreen content, what's relevant to me. So we need to reorder content. So content is tagged not by time, but by topic. And that lets us pull evergreen content that is most relevant to us in this moment. And that makes the content more relevant the content consumer likes it, and the content creator is not wasting the time of their audience just blasting out knowing only a small percentage will land. 
it does make sense also because lately many people are using, for example, TikTok as a search engine, right? It started mostly as a push, like the idea of push marketing, it was the for you page on TikTok, right? While now people go out there and be like, what to do in New York during the weekend? Uh, best uh, in like seafood restaurant in Chicago, right? And now it's interesting how the behavior, right? And the mindset shifted also for content creators and businesses. As you correctly said, it's not just like pushing it out, but it's like, how do I think? And I create a, a evergreen content that can work well. And I'm going to use SEO, right? The search engine optimization technique in order to dominate a space and be there, not only today and going and spike with virality on TikTok for one day or Instagram reels. How can I stay there, right? And dominate a space and become the voice, right? For that industry. Um, and uh, what is, uh, in your opinion, one of the best way to start thinking both uh, as a brand and the other person would be instead of content creator from moving from push to pull. Is there anything that worked for your, yourself or something that you see it working that others also can potentially replicate? Think about the behavioral patterns of your audience. Where and when do they want this content? So you gave the example of using TikTok and finding things to do. If let's say I'm going to Chicago and I'm looking for touristy things to do in Chicago, that's not going to change much from year to year. You still have the Fields Museum. You still have, well, to me, it's the Sears Tower. And I like to think they call it the Willis Tower, but yeah. that's going to be there years from now. And so you want to think about when I'm creating this content, first, how will this content be used? Not just the next few weeks, but longer term over a lifetime when the content's relevant in this case for years but also when and how will people access this? Because we think about, okay, TikTok, most people are just kind of scrolling through. So I just want to show something that kind of catches their attention because I'm competing against all the other videos. But if the mode of my potential audience is, I am now intentionally searching for what to do in Chicago as a tourist, suddenly I'm not just, well, let me just scroll, scroll, scroll. It's a very targeted look and I'm going to quickly look at things, go, oh, okay, I see some food stuff. No, I'm not looking for places to eat. I'm looking for this. So think about their mindset and behavior and then address your content to that. And so again, when I think the networking example, where is that going to be used? It's going to be used by someone who is about to walk into a networking event. They're going to say, I've got three minutes before I walk in the room and I just want to quickly pull what's relevant to me. That chapter or a whole book is not the right format for that. If I can give it to them in bite-sized pieces with very concrete action-oriented things for them to do, that is how my content will be most re relevant in that circumstance. So always think about the context in which it's going to be used. And I also like the other point that you said about structuring, unstructured data, right? Uh, because in a text is easier, right, to extrapolate things, uh, but uh, sometimes in video content audio content is a bit more difficult. So I like the idea to tag things out because if, if we think about, for example, whenever you go to a photo stock website, they are all tagged, right? So, you know, you can be there and be looking for happy family, you know, eating uh, uh, at the table together, you know, and you're going to most probably go find something because there is somewhat before back in the days was human being just going there and looking for things. Now, nowadays we have AI a bit of machine learning can easily understand what is happening in a picture, right? But it's not that easy, right, to do that on video sometimes because it's frame after frame and it's a bit more difficult to understand what is happening. 
and on audio also it's a bit more difficult especially in podcasting because there is two people usually talking right and it's difficult uh, maybe to just compress the information in a text but i like the idea to tagging things out and so for example you know thinking i would like to know from you um would be interesting for example as you said before not going in a linear right uh, type of uh, uh approach right but look at things for example Instead of listening in a podcast only for a specific guest, I could go potentially and look at the entirety of the podcast and look for which guest talked about entrepreneurship, for example, and extrapolate each of their uh, maybe, you know, take on that topic, right? Um, is there anything that is already effective in your opinion? Like, is there any way to tag this type of content altogether? Are there already frameworks existing uh, or, or is still a work in progress? I'll give a few examples. On the blog on my book's website, it's a blog. It is ordered chronologically because that's how the blog system works. Mm -hmm. I also tag every blog post by topic. So yeah. if you are looking for career planning, if you are looking for negotiating tips, you can go right to that tag and you'll find all the posts on that topic. You'll ignore the other ones that might be more recent but are less relevant to you. And that's something simple. You gave the example with the photographs. We can do it with a lot of CMS systems. As a second example, we have with podcasts, uh, one thing that I've seen podcasters do that's effective is some podcasters have, here's the five questions I ask every guest at the start of the show or end of the show. And they'll have questions like, what's the one thing you do each day to be more effective? doesn't matter what the question is. Something that's very effective and very popular is you have each of those episodes, but then cut those clips. So if you take that question, what's the one thing you do each day to be effective, and you've done an episode a week, well, you take half of a year of those episodes, 26 episodes, pull out that one clip, and now you have, here's the highlight reel. Here's the 26 people, what each of them does. And so I'm saying, I want to figure out what I should be doing each day. Boom, here it is, 26 things all in a row. So it is doing exactly what you're saying. You're pulling out the pieces. Now, it's a little hard, as you know, to say, at what point in this episode did we talk about entrepreneurship versus something else? But when you have those clear questions, that's fairly easy for them to do because they know where it is. They know how to find it. And then, of course, there's the Brain Bump app that we'll probably talk about in a little bit, which does exactly this. And yeah, I mean, like I like the idea also. Uh, it's not new as a thing in content marketing, but, you know, one of the best... Uh, um, strategy it is to anytime you have a content uh, transpose it and transform it in another medium right like actually put in another medium through a different format so you have uh, an episode fantastic do an article that is SEO optimized right and then from that you can create a little clip and from the clip you can you know like put together as you said the best five tips and so on right and then from that, you can do a round table of the experts that were on the podcast, but it's going to go as an article. And from that, you can, like, you can always repurpose, but still giving value. Is there any type of format that you like the most? Or have you found one of the best ways, in your opinion, to, again, use the most possible one type of content and repurpose it? Or, um, or you have a few favorite ones? It really depends on how your audience, again, chooses to engage with your content. And you're absolutely right. As marketers, as content creators, we always want to repurpose what we're doing. Can we turn that audio interview into, into text, into a blog post? Can we turn the blog post or the audio into social media clips, 
into other things, but also think about not just taking the same content and putting it in a different package, in a different format, but also think about in a different context. Where else can this particular thing, even the same format, even it's still audio or it's still video or text, can it be combined and packaged up in a different set? So a classic example, of course, is when someone says, here are these individual books, but then they sell you that nice set of the books. And it's the full set and it comes in a nice box. And there's something, you might even say, well, I already have one or two of these books, but that box set, oh, that looks so nice. I like how it's all packaged and formatted up. And so they'll even potentially rebuy it. They're paying twice for the same content. Or we think about highlight reels again, where I think about movie highlight reels, where it's just, hey, I want to see, I love action movies. And so I've seen lots of action movies. And then I want to see a highlight reel of all those big explosions and action clips. And I know the movie and I've seen it, but I get more joy perhaps from seeing it in this different context of just explosion after explosion. So can we take the same thing, but use it for a slightly different purpose? It's not dissimilar to, if you know anything about drug research, when pharma does drug research, they spend years and billions of dollars developing a drug and they have a limited amount of time in which they can sell it before the patent goes off and you lose your margins. What is considered finding a pot of gold for a pharma company is when you say, here's a drug, we've gone through the trials, this has already been used and approved, but we discovered this drug now has a different purpose. The same drug can be given to a different set of patients because it also solves a different problem. And so you're taking what you've done, all that R&D to create the drug, but you're using it in a new context and generating new value. And so we can do that as well as marketers. Apart from pharma, is there any other ones that comes to your mind? Because mostly before we covered more on the content creator as an individual, right? They have certain rules. Sometimes you don't have to think maybe twice about something because it's your own page. You can do a little bit of whatever you want, right? Uh, when it comes to a brand, you have like a brand value, a brand image, you have responsibilities, authority in the space, uh, trust, reputation. So when you want to move from like, again, push media to pull media, when you want to repurpose content, uh, maybe uh, I'm pretty sure that brands have to think differently, right? They're an individual content creator. How does it, how is it different in that case instead? As a brand, as opposed to an individual content creator, in theory, the content creator has their own brand, but it's very different. It's usually not as strong a brand as we think of as commercial brands. You're very worried about the context. So I remember years ago working on a project where we were taking video clips. We had effectively a marketplace of video clips from premium content sources. We can all imagine there are certain brands are very concerned about where it might appear. Think for example, Disney content. They want to make sure their content doesn't appear anywhere near something that might be adult themed or any of the sin uh, type of experiences that is so off brand for Disney. And so they have to really worry about protection. If somehow my book, my brand appeared next to something more adult, first, how many people are going to see it to begin with? And second, is that really going to impact my brand? It's certainly not on brand for my content, but it's not such an antithesis as is for Disney, where I think it's safe for my children. And so when you're a bigger brand, you just have more concerns about defending what's associated with your brand. Individual content creators 
probably less concerns. Yeah, it makes sense, right? Like the sedimentation of a brand had been maybe for some of them like 100 years, right? While someone that started maybe three, four years ago as a content creator, I mean, like without leaving them anything on that, like absolutely they are doing a great job, but sometimes it's maybe a one person operation, right? And if something happened to one person, it's different than a conglomerate, right? Or a big brand, right? That is investing a lot in terms of reputation, right? And, and uh, you know, content. And so there are more rules involved. Um, and, and also, I guess that's why sometimes certain brands are slower, right? Than other individuals to get on market with maybe ideas, right? Because you had to go through a lot of iterations, right? Before, for example, legal approves a type of content or uh, the context, right? Where it is, for example, like for an individual could be whatever. As I said before, these they want to be sure that it's going to be all in a certain channel, right? You're exactly right. In fact, this is something companies face, not just for brands, but in general. So again, to take Disney, for Disney to put those mouse ears on something, there is probably an army of people, of brand managers, a legal review, who really need to check the integrity of the product. My companies, my startups, oh, yeah, sounds good. Because if we tarnish our brand, who's heard of us anyway? We'll just change the brand name. Same thing happened in many other contexts. So I used to consult to Sears as many years ago. They were trying to innovate and they brought me in. And when I was getting to know the company and things they do, I found out Sears gets sued every single day. Every day, there was a new lawsuit filed against Sears. Now, some of it may have been large lawsuits. Maybe it's a big enough company. I'm sure there were harassment claims or other issues. Just you get a company of that size. I'm not saying they're they're big on that, but a certain number of people, these things happen. But you even get small lawsuits. It's a store. Someone walks in and they slip. You've got a slip and fall lawsuit. You have any type of product that was problematic. They're going to look at suing Sears, deeper pockets than the manufacturer. There was one lawsuit that I believe had to do, Sears apparently had some uh, hair care facilities. Someone didn't like how her hair was done. Lawsuit. So Sears, of course, they have a bunch of lawyers and they're always thinking, how are we going to be sued because they have a big target? Again, my companies, my startups, we're not worried about being sued. You'd be crazy to sue us because we barely have money anyway. Mm -hmm. And if you do sue us, well, fine, you'll bankrupt us. But that is issue number 712 on my list of things to worry about. So I'm going to roll the dice with that one. But big companies, again, the nature of who they are, they have more structures and systems because they have more to protect. So the bigger your brand, the bigger your organization, the slower and more deliberate you have to be in what you do. It's interesting when you say also like about like your know, lawsuits and so on. We've been seeing more content creators uh, uh, open up uh, LLC companies, right? So they are shifting from merely being these, again, the individual they are doing as a hobby to actually having maybe a team helping them and so on. But one of the things also that they realize is that if you start making like, uh, if you continue uh, doing your job as an entity, right? As a company, as a corporation, um, is going to be different and it's going to cover you by, again, potential breach of contracts, right? And so on. Because again, you are working as an LLC. So something else also that many content creators are finding out, it is that uh, one is the cover there and also you can write off for expenses, for example. You can, again, treat your, your business as a real business, right? Uh, it still takes time for a lot of people that still want to understand that because you need, uh, you know, uh, personal finance knowledge. You want to understand how does it work uh, behind the scene. You might have help from an accountant, from a 
you know, legal perspective and so on. Again, you know, it, it's interesting when you say about the lawsuit and something because, yeah, before it was only for the for the big dogs out there, but nowadays it happens also for agreements between influencers and a company, for example, right? About the scope of work that was not, you know, uh, maybe certain numbers not were not achieved or different pricing, like every is happening also in this, right? Something that that's why we're also moving from it's not just hobby anymore. There are like legal agreements, uh, scope of work. There's so much more. And uh, certain people are realizing I prefer to go in as a company than as an individual. So if anything happens, I still have the sort of, you know, uh, shield, right, of the LLC. And this is happening also for really young people that it's uh, quite interesting to see. And think of it. I'll note, I'm not a lawyer. I'm not an accountant. This is not legal or financial advice. But think of it like insurance. This is how I think of it, which is, yeah, I'm spending some money on the lawyer to set up the LLC on the accountant, because you have to be very careful when you do have a business like an LLC yeah. to make sure you're not mixing the money and there's certain things you have to follow. So it's a little more overhead, but it's insurance because if I ever do get sued, I am protected. They can take down the company, but they can't take me and my personal assets. It's the type of thing, it's like health insurance. You think, oh, I'm spending this money, I'm jumping through these hoops, and do I really need it? And if you're 25, maybe not. But then suddenly you're 35, 45, and boy, you're glad you have health insurance. It There will be one day where it happens to say, this is why I need it. Same thing with this legal protection, this financial protection. Yeah, it seems like a pain until suddenly one day you say, I am so glad I have this. Totally, 100%. And since we're talking about, you know, um, all these aspects, right, that are around businesses and content creators and brands and so on, Let's go over a bit more about your book, right? So it's called the Career Toolkit. And then there is also another tagline. Okay, you can maybe tell us that. Um, and why did you think about that? But um, I was right, like looking at the different chapters that I said before, there are many different paragraphs that can be used for like everyone. And the one that I selected are like, you know, looking at, for example, you know, network, negotiation, ethics, right? These are some of them. Can you go through like some of the, most important chapters that you think could be actually applied to content creators, uh, influencer marketing, and overall in the creator economy uh, as it is known these days? There are 10 different chapters on 10 skills in the book. And the ones that are probably going to be most relevant to content creators, certainly negotiating is key for all the contracts that you're doing in partnerships, networking, because you're going to build out your network of partners and clients and just other opportunities. The people and process management chapters are really key because the management chapters and the leadership chapter as well, they're not just for people with certain titles. All of us employ management skills, even if we don't have authority over people. We have to manage our clients. We have to manage the people we work with, even if we're not supervising directly. So those chapters... Ethics, I think, matters quite a bit. We often don't think about the implications of what we're doing, but we should. In business especially, there are secondary and tertiary implications to solve what we put out, and really we need to do a better job thinking through those things. And then I would say career planning. Most people think, well, if I am my own boss, if I'm independent, do I really need a career plan? And you do not just because because career planning isn't just how do I get a bigger title? It's how you develop and grow yourself 
the title is just one yardstick. But even if your title will never change, your career development still matters. And we need to be proactive even more so when it's just ourselves and there's no one else out there who's there guiding and managing us. So those are some of the probably more relevant chapters. Yeah, the career plan, especially for content creators, like, uh, I would say it's even more challenging, right? Because if you have a boss with you, like like that that tells you what to do, you can more or less expect, right? Okay, in one year, I'm going to get, you know, this sort of promotion. I can expect this title. I can expect this money. But if it is just yourself, it's even more challenging, right? It might be tricky because uh, unless you really put certain deadlines to yourself uh, and uh, achievements that you want to get there by X amount of time, this amount of money, this, and it's not just that, like also soft skills, for example, do I get better in doing this, this and that? It's even more important, right? And crucial because again, it's yourself usually, right? Uh, um, is there anything that you find that works? Could be, I don't know, like a Google sheet where putting down all the data that you need, a framework that you used, uh, as what analysis about yourself. Is there anything in your framework that you found out that could be a good one for either content creators or also on the other side, again, brands that want to enter into this and look at the, the creator economy, then influencer marketing as a structured way to do uh, marketing as a channel. When you say framework, you mean for marketing in general or were you talking specifically about career plans? Uh, for career plans, first of all, and then I would like to see also on the other, on the other topics that we discussed, for example, you know, the negotiation side, if there is anything that could be applicable there. And, uh, and also in the networking side. So it would be interesting to see if there is anything that people can potentially learn and use it as a base, right? And then from them apply to their sort of daily operations. For career plans, as I go through in the book, you generally want to treat it like your project plans where you set your target, you set where you're trying to go, and then you want to back out milestones along the way doing regular check-ins. And what you'll find is a framework for creating that career plan, even if it's a plan over 5, 10, 20 years, it works the same way like our project plans, that we know where we're going, we know what are the things we need to do in the short term, in the medi in medium term, in order to get to the long term. And so by having that regularity of having the plan and checking in and then revising as we go, we're going to increase our chances of success. When it comes to negotiating, there are some very common things we can do. And I'll be the first to admit the negotiation tips in my book. This isn't, oh, this is super secret. I came up with it. This is all pretty standard stuff, but it's condensed into an easily digestible format. It's just one chapter instead of a whole book. It really comes down to being clear on the outcomes that you're looking for, doing research and planning ahead of time, and then finding ways where you can create trade-offs that enlarge the pie for everyone, where you generate more value, not only for yourself, but for the other person, although always making sure it is net positive for you. And do you think that it is something that everyone can learn? Do they have to go through a certain type of like study, a certain type of like college? Is it something instead that can be taught and you can learn and then apply? Because, you know, certain things you have to go through, for example, you have to study finance, right? If you want to become something else and something else, there are certain things that you have to know. Is there anything that, in your opinion, is crucial to understand, again, your career plan, how to negotiate uh, ethics, uh, networking? Or is it something that no matter the type of study that you went through uh, or college that you attended, you can still learn? Every one of these skills is completely learnable. 
what trips people up is we see people who are naturally good at leadership or good at networking or negotiating. Like, oh, well, they're, they're naturally good and I'm not. And we leave it at that. Now, we know people are naturally good in other areas, mathematics, music, languages, sports. But that doesn't mean the rest of us can't get good at if we try. Now, we know how to learn math, music, language, and sports. We have well-defined processes for that. And so even if you're not good to start, you can develop yourself and get better. And in fact, the people who are naturally good but don't put any work in eventually get outclassed by the people who are putting in the regular practice. But because we have traditionally not had formal methodologies for teaching these other skills, leadership, networking, negotiating, and the other skills we're talking about, we just think, well, you're either good or you're not, and that's the end of the story. So in fact, if you apply the frameworks, the ones I talk about in the book, or that you can find from other people as well, whether in college classes or other books, you can develop any and all of these skills and get better at. And let me give you just an example of how quickly you can get better and how powerful it can be. Let's take a simple example. I'm going to take the example, I'm going to use negotiations because it's easy to do the math with that. Let's just pretend you're 25 years old and you have a job offer. You're an employee of a company. They give you a job offer for $70,000. But instead of taking the job as it is, you've learned to negotiate. Whether you've read my book or taken an online class, however you did, you've learned to negotiate and you negotiate for $1,000 more. $71,000. That seems very doable. It's not a huge lift. That takes about 5-10 minutes of phone calls or emails to get the extra thousand. If you do nothing else in your career, if you were to stay in that job another 40 years till you retired, that one five-minute negotiation just got you $1,000 more for 40 years. In five minutes, you just earned $40,000. But of course, you're not going to stay at that job for the next 40 years. You're going to have other jobs. You're going to have promotions and raises. You'll negotiate those. You'll get more than just $1,000. You'll get more than just direct finance or salary. You'll get other benefits as well. If you learn to negotiate, we're not talking about being the world's best negotiator. We're talking about being just a little bit better. You can add tens of thousands, even hundreds of thousands of dollars to your lifetime earnings. Now, we use the example of someone with a salary. Obviously, if you're freelance, you probably have more opportunities to negotiate because you're doing contracts multiple times a year. If you get just a little bit better, it is going to have a huge impact on your overall success. And I mentioned I use negotiations as the example because we can do the math. The same is true for these other skills, for leading, communicating, networking. Getting a little bit better opens up opportunities, gets you moving a little faster, and creates that compounding effect. You're not necessarily going to hear, oh, we're giving you $1,000 more because you're a better networker, but it's going to open up those more opportunities that's going to let you be more successful. So all of these skills, if you just get a little bit better, you will find tremendous success that will compound throughout the rest of your life. Yeah, what I like of this is that, as I said before, can be applied for people with a salary, freelancers, now these content creators, right? Um, you have to be able to sell yourself, right, first of all. And if you're able to do that, right, then it's going to be a bit easier. And we can see that, you know, negotiation, but it's the same also for like networking, right? You have to sell yourself in that moment. Like why? 
this person should stay with me five minutes more, right? Or 10 minutes more and, 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 and like listen to my pitch, right? For example. So I think that I like the idea that everyone can learn these type of things. And what I recommend all the time is just, just to do it, right? Get started somehow and then reiterate on your mistakes and learning from them. Uh, too many times, right? Uh, either brands or also creators, they wait to go out with something. They wait, they wait, they wait. Oh, it's not perfect yet. But doing that, you're not able to learn from from, from that, that one. So um, to start wrapping up, we covered many different items today, right? So we went through, again, push versus pull. We went through the context, uh, uh, right? Why it is important also like for the type of content and the, the demand out there, how we're shifting things, um, how to look at, at, you know, the daily uh, job that we all do from different, you know, like angles, uh, lens, uh, frameworks that could be applied and so on. What else? Uh, does it really excite you lately? Is there anything that I didn't ask you today that you would love to share with us? Well, I mentioned earlier the Brain Bump app, and this epitomizes what we were talking about earlier, because recognizing that we need this context-dependent micro-content, recognizing that there's a shift from push to pull content, I create an app to allow exactly this. And so this is just one example. There will be more solutions people are going to put out in the coming years, but BrainBump represents, I think, a good step in this direction. So the BrainBump app, which is completely free, takes content from different content creators, authors, podcasters, speakers, people with classes, people with blogs. We take the highlights from those sources, those key points. They're typically about one to four sentences, that nugget of learning. It puts it all into the app, tags it by topic, and makes it available to the content consumer when and where it's most relevant. So for example, someone with the free Brain Bump app, as they walk into that conference, they say, what were those networking tips? They can open the app, go to the networking tips, and literally within a few seconds, all of a sudden they've got the key networking tips. They can flip through them right before they walk in the room exactly when and where they need it. Or to create a foundational experience, if you're a new manager, you don't know exactly when and where you'll need a particular management tip. So if you've been reading management books or listening to management podcasts, you can set it up so each day you don't even need to open the app. You get a push notification. Now it's a push notification, but it's pull because you said, I want this information at this time. And you get a pop-up that has that key tip. You don't even need to open the app. It doesn't send unwanted notifications because we all hate that. That's interrupting our flow of thought. You say, well, 9 a.m. I'll walk into the office. This is relevant here and now. You get that pull of relevant content. Look at, swipe away, you're done. So the content consumers benefit by getting relevant, timely information. The content creators benefit because each one of these pieces of information comes with their brand associated with it. So I see, oh, right, this is from this podcast. This is from this book, right? This is valuable. It's also hyperlinked. So if, for example, the tip comes from a podcast episode, person says, oh, you know what? This is great. I want to learn more. I'm going to click through and go to that podcast episode. So they can go deeper. And what's great for the podcaster, remember we talked about the whole concept and the, that it's not ordered chronologically. That particular tip is evergreen. And it might be from an episode two days ago or two years ago, and it doesn't matter because that's relevant to this person now. And so it can drive traffic to a back catalog for evergreen content. So the Brain Bump app 
it's an example, one of the first, of how we can implement this context-dependent micro-content and use it in a whole consumer method. Love it. So you said that it's for free. I guess we can just put it in the link in our description then for people to check it out. Yes, we'll put the link in there. It is brainbumpapp.com. If you go to the website, we'll link you through to the stores. The app is completely free. We The content on there is free as well. So for example, my book's tips, the tips from the Career Toolkit, is all on the app. You download the free app. We don't check, oh, did you buy the book? So even if you haven't bought the book, you can still get the tips. And you've got the tips there right at your fingertip. It's an ever-growing content set. We have content creators reaching out to us all the time, and we're adding new content every month. So we're like a streaming service. There's always more stuff coming, and we're expanding a lot in 2023. Fantastic. Can't wait to check it out and play with it these days and try to do new things here and there. So it's it's a good one, right, for, for us to test, I would say. So uh, fantastic. Mark, thank you so much for joining me today. Uh, we really went through a lot. And again, I like that we look at these uh, from a different lens than the usual, right? Um, that we have done in the past. So thank you so much for um, for sharing that with me. Is there any last thing that you want to, to add before we finish the episode? I'll just mention the websites because there's other free resources on there. At thecareertoolkitbook.com, that's the website for the book. Obviously, you can learn more about the book. You can get in touch with me or follow me on social media. But I put out new articles every week. And so you can learn more about these skills, go beyond the book. There is an entirely free resources page where I link to free online resources. I have a number of downloads. I don't even gate it. Yes, I have a background in lead generation, and I know why you would. But I am more concerned with helping you than trying to capture your email and sell you anything. So the resources page all there for you. So that's all at thecareertoolkitbook.com. We mentioned the free Brain Bump app. That's at brainbumpapp.com. Completely free. There's a 90-second video that's going to walk you through everything the app does. If you're curious to learn more about my thinking with nonlinear context-dependent content or push versus pull, you can go to yet another website. I have multiple brands, and that's at Cognosco Media, C-O-G, N-O-S-C-O-Media.com. And there we have other podcasts I've done, but also blog posts where I talk about media and content. And I'm always putting out new stuff there as well. So three websites, thecareertoolkitbook.com, brainbumpapp.com, and cognoscomedia.com. Amazing. We're going to put everything as a link so it's easable, like it's pretty easy for people to go and check it out. Again, thank you so much, Mark, for joining me today. Uh, this was the Influence Factor by the Influencer Marketing Factory. I'll see you next week. Mm-hmm.